thank you, Nettie. Can everybody hear me okay? Yes. Good, good. Um, yes, um, first of all, I'd just like to um, uh, thank you, Nettie, for this invitation to, um, to talk to the group and um, to say how lovely it is um, to be uh, sitting with you um, at uh, Twining Vine Zendo um, uh, for, the, for the first time um, on this beautiful um, Sunday, Sunday morning. So um, the original subject that I proposed to Nettie for my talk today was navigating our practice and daily life. And um, what I was intending to do was to look at um, certain key texts such as Dogen's Genjo Koan, uh, Linji's Four Propositions, uh, Dongshan's Five Ranks, um, that um, chart the landscape of our practice um, and can serve as useful maps by which we can make sense of our practice experience and help us to carry it into our daily lives. But in the course of writing this talk, I found myself questioning the whole idea of navigating the practice. Uh, do we in fact navigate the practice or does the, the practice navigate us? And so really this is the question that will um, be the main focus of what I have to say today. So to set the stage, I'd like to offer you uh, two quotations um, that deal with the issue of navigating practice in one way or another. The first of these is from the 20th century Indian Hindu teacher, Sri Ni Sagadatta Maharaj. And some of you may have heard this before. When I see that I am nothing, that is wisdom. When I see that I am everything, that is love. Between these two, my life moves. From a Zen perspective, we might understand that what Sri Nisagadatta is describing is a movement back and forth between two poles. Two poles that in Zen, we would call emptiness and fullness or emptiness and form. And we can see that this might be one way of navigating our practice and our lives. My second quotation, um, which is also clearly about navigation um, because it talks about uh, boats, which of course is um, the, the basis of the, um, the term navigation. Um, this occurs in the undivided activity, the Zen key chapter of Dogen Zenji's 
treasury of the true Dharma Eye or Shobo Genzo. And this is uh, Stephen Heiner's translation. While sailing along by using the vessel's rudder and pole, I do not exist apart from the boat and the boat functions as a vehicle because I am riding in it. At just such a moment, life makes me what I am and my activity fulfills the life of all things that contribute to that fleeting instant of the boat's movement. And I'll come back to these two quotations and look at them uh, in a little uh, more detail shortly. But when I began reflecting um, on this question of whether we navigate our practice or whether it navigates us, I found myself <clears throat> somewhat unexpectedly reflecting on my earliest days of practice, um, which actually began before I took up um, Zen uh, um, practice with Yamada Kōn Roshi. I did my first session in the early 1970s at a monastery in the north of England uh, called Throssell Hole. Throssell Hole was affiliated with Shasta Abbey, which was established by G.U. Kenneth Roshi. Um, and you may know her as the author of the book, Selling Water by the River. The instruction that I received at that first session was very simple. It was simply just sit. Then after a second session at Throssell Hole, a year later, I went to Japan um, for work um, to pursue my research into Chinese and Japanese music history. And I took advantage of being in Japan to become a student of Yamada Kōen Roshi in Kamakura. As part of our initiation into that Sangha, uh, which is known as the Sambo Kyodan, we studied four introductory lectures written by Yas uh, Yasutani Hakuun Roshi. Um, again, some of you may um, know these lectures because they were translated and published by Philip Kaplow uh, in The Three Pillars of Zen. <clears throat> These talks made it abundantly clear that in Yasutani Roshi's view, the primary purpose, the highest aspiration of Zen training should be to awaken to our self nature. But the instruction that I received about how to do Zazen was just like the instruction that I received at Throssell Hall very simple. They involved working with the koan mu and went uh, as follows. The long version is key mu to your breath, give it your entire attention and let everything go. The shorter version is just mu. Tada mu. Tada mu. Was, some, was a phrase that we heard again, again in the Zendo. As time's gone on, 
the years have passed. I've become um, even more appreciative of the simplicity of these instructions. Dogen or the throttle hole instruction, just sitting. Yamada Roshi's just move. The fewer ideas we have about practice, the more likely we are to awaken. The more likely it is that we'll be able to get out of our own way and let the practice guide us rather than us guiding the practice. Awakening is not knowing. It's beyond ideas and concepts. If we can think that we can strategize our way into it, then we're mistaken. Whatever makes us think we know what we're doing. When, however, we follow those simple instructions, just sit, just move, with all our hearts, we are able to cut off the mind road and we will, sure as eggs are eggs, wake up. Some people I know find the very simplicity of these instructions challenging. For example, the well-known Theravadan teacher, Patrick Carney, um, and I'm sure that he won't mind repeating what he said because he said it publicly many times. Patrick sat with Robert Aitken Roshi for several years, but in the end, he got completely fed up with being given no meditation instruction beyond just move. And in the end, he abandoned Zen and went off to Burma to ordain as a monk and to learn meditation technique. And this meditation technique is the center of Patrick's teaching. It's one of the main um, focuses. And he teaches it very skillfully and very successfully. But it is not Zen. Sri uh, Nisagadatta's approach, for all its simplicity and beauty, is also not Zen. Navigating between the twin poles of form and emptiness may be useful, particularly after an initial awakening, the Kensho or Satori. But to try to guide ourselves to an experience of emptiness using his method seems to me quite futile. If we do this, all we will do is to fill our minds with the very thoughts and concepts that get in the way of waking up to our true nature and the realization of emptiness. Those simple instructions, just sit, just move, are moreover not only useful in bringing us to realization, but they also remain our fundamental method, even after awakening. Why? Because even after awakening, we constantly fall into delusion and need to regularly renew our insight through the zazen of just sitting or just move. The many other aids that we have at our disposal, Dharma talks, discourses by masters such as Dogen Zenji or Dungshan or Hakuin, uh, 
koan study practice, uh, sutra study, and so on, guide us in bringing our practice to maturity. But in the end, they are no substitute for the fundamental practice of zazen, just sitting and just move. We might find them useful maps as we navigate the way, but in the end, it's important to remember that what they map is totally insubstantial, as insubstantial as a cloud. How can you possibly map something that has no ongoing shape or existence? In effect, what Sri Nisagadatta describes is a movement back and forth between wisdom and love, or as I think we would say in Zen, between wisdom and compassion. Wisdom tells us that we are nothing. That is, that nothing, ourselves included, has any ongoing substantive existence. And in Buddhism, we refer to this as no self or emptiness. Uh, the Buddha called them anatta and shunyata. Compassion, on the other hand, tells us that we are everything, that we are so intimately connected to the many beings that there is no separation at all. This is the fullness expressed by Yunyan and Dogen's, just this is it. Or by the Buddha saying in his first utterance at birth, above the heavens, below the earth, I alone am the honored one. Sri Nisagadatta sees his life as moving between those two poles. But Zen goes beyond this. As the Heart Sutra tells us, form is no other than emptiness, emptiness no other than form. Form is exactly emptiness, emptiness exactly form. Emptiness and form are not two poles, they are one, and not even that. While it's true that we sometimes experience the universe and ourselves as empty, and at other times as full, and while it's true that we might sometimes feel that our practice experience is one of moving between these different modes of perception, we need to go beyond this and realize that form and emptiness are one and the same. The oneness of form and emptiness is the focus of one of my favorite koans a dialogue between two brother monks, Yunyan and Daowu. Yunyan is sweeping the temple courtyard when Daowu appears and says, you're working hard. Yunyan responds, but you should know that there is one that does not work. The one who does not work here points in the direction of no self and emptiness. But Daowu will have none of this. Are you saying there are two moons? He replies. That is, are you saying that there are two realities? The world of form 
or fullness, where you are busily sweeping the courtyard, and the world of emptiness or no self, where there is no one to sweep and nothing to be swept. Yunyan thrusts out the broom and roars, how many moons is this? There it is, the oneness of form and emptiness, broom and nothing but broom in the entire universe. Dawu responds by sitting in silence, which is also a perfect presentation of the oneness of form and emptiness. Dogen Zenji also explores this matter in the Genjo Koan. In the first line, he says, when all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma, there are delusion and enlightenment. There is practice, there is birth, there is death, there are Buddhas, there are sentient beings. Here, Dogen is describing the fullness of things, the world of form, if you like, where things come forth as themselves. This is Yunyan, sweeping the courtyard. In the second line, Dogen describes the emptiness of things, the world of no abiding self. When the 10,000 things are without an abiding self, there is no delusion, there is no satori, there are no Buddhas, there are no beings, there is no birth, and there is no extinction. Here, there is no one to work and nothing to sweep. I'd like to invite you to notice that both these statements are time bound. bound. Sometimes they're um, translated as if all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma or if the 10,000 things are without abiding self. But that's not right. Um, Dogen is definitely talking here about time, when all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma, when the 10,000 things have no abiding self. The pair of characters that I'm translating here as when, G Setsu, are made up of the character for time and the character for season. When all dharmas are the Buddha Dharma, when the 10,000 things are without an abiding self. Sometimes it's full, sometimes it's empty. These are the two poles between which Sri Nisagadatta navigated his life. And as I've said, we can use these poles in our meditation as well, sometimes seeing the fullness of things, sometimes seeing the emptiness of things. But in Zen, we always need to take a further step. And that further step is expressed in the third line of the Genjo Koan, like this. Because the Buddha way leaps clear of abundance, that is fullness or form, and lack, that is emptiness or no self, 
There is what we call birth and death. There is what we call delusion. There is what we call realization. Dogen tells us that the mature Zen person navigates the matter of fullness and emptiness, not by traveling back and forth between them, though we may find ourselves sometimes doing that, but by realizing their intrinsic oneness. In Dogen's radical formulation, even birth and death, even delusion and realization are liberated from the conceptual constraints that give them an appearance of permanence. And they are free to be truly themselves, just birth, just death, just delusion, just realization. In my translation of this third line of the Genjo Koan, I inserted the phrase, what we call. Uh, so I said, uh, because the Buddha way leaps clear of abundance and lack, there is what we call birth and death. There is what we call delusion. There is what we call um, realization. Um, and I borrowed this phrase, in fact, from the Diamond Sutra which uses um, what we call, this phrase, what we call, to distinguish between mountains as concepts, that is, as apparently substantive mountains, and living mountains that have been liberated to be truly themselves, what we call mountains. We could equally um, place them in inverted commas, mountains and in inverted commas birth and death in inverted commas, delusion and realization in inverted commas. I'd also invite you to notice the vitality of Dogen's language here. The great way leaps clear of abundance and lack, leaps clear of form and emptiness. To realize in this way, to attain the practice of total absorption, of total intimacy requires great vitality. Finally, let me return to that quotation from Dorgan with which I began my talk. It is, as I said earlier, a good example of how in Zen we both navigate our practice and are simultaneously navigated by it. Dogen's extraordinary use of poetic language allows us to see that it is not, in fact, a matter of one or the other. Navigating the practice is being navigated by the practice. So this is the quotation again. While sailing along by using the vessel's rudder and pole, I do not exist apart from the boat, and the boat functions as a vehicle because I'm riding in it. At just such a moment, life makes me what I am, and my activity fulfills the life of all things that contribute to that fleeting moment of the boat's movement. The boat here, of course, represents the practice. It is like the raft, which in traditional Buddhist, in the traditional Buddhist metaphor, 
uh, we are carried across from the shore of delusion to the shore of realization. But for Dogen, we and the practice are not separate. He clearly says, I do not exist apart from the boat. When we realize this non-separation of ourselves and our practice, we realize that the practice makes us what we are. The practice does us. But at the same time, we do the practice. In Dorgan's words, our activity, that is the activity of this very moment, fulfills the life of all things that contribute to that fleeting instant of the boat's movement. That fleeting movement of practice. So please, pay attention to this fleeting moment of practice. If we remain awake to it, it will remain awake to us.